Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcast. Today I'm talking to Dr. Mark Hall, author of a case report in EVE titled Colopexy Dehiscence, preceding an episode of large colon volvulus, followed by a repeat colopexy in three thoroughbred broodmares. Dr. Hall, thanks so much for being part of this and for giving me time to talk to you about this article. Uh, before we get started, I, I tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be talking about this article. So my name is Dr. Mark Hall. I'm from Dublin, Ireland. I went to school at University College Dublin, Ireland, uh, before heading over to America to Lexington, Kentucky, to work in Haggard as a surgery intern for one year. Following then, I went on to the University of Georgia as a specialist intern in large animal surgery and critical care. So following one year of amazing professional experience there, I'm now set to head over to UC Davis and to work as a surgery intern um, in equine surgery in Lamus, and with plans then to into a surgical residency program. Yeah, that sounds great. So I'm guessing that uh, your exposure to these broodmares and colopexies came from your time in Lexington, Kentucky. Indeed it was, yeah. It was when I was in Kentucky now, I had a large, due to the large breeding population, had a large number of broodmares that came in with large colored volvuli. And then as a result, I saw a number of colopexy procedures, which and it was Dr. Dwayne Rogerson then who drew my attention to the potential outcome of colopexy dehiscence. Um, he was the one who prompted me then to go researching back through records to find uh, these three cases where colopexy dehiscence had an indeed occurred, and then had the idea to go ahead and describe them and, and publish them in this article. So give me just an idea of um, the frequency with which colopexies are done in that practice. So in general, because of the very large broodmare population, um, we had quite a lot of cases that came in as repeat large colon volvulus. So generally it was you know, there is quite a high recurrence rate. So after after one episode of large colon volvulus in these broodmares, they reported to have a, a 15% chance of recurrence. And then after two episodes, they reported to have an 80% chance of recurrence to have a third episode. So generally, when I had mares that came in um, and they had, it was indeed their second or indeed their third episode of large colon volvulus, then it was likely that colobexy would be performed. Um, so as far as uh, the numbers performed, when I look back at the records over an eight-year period, there's about 253 colopexies performed, um, so quite a large number, and probably again the highest highest number that you would see out there. Um, in general, there was a report done in 2015. It was basically a survey of ACVS surgeons asking how commonly colopexies are indeed performed, and so they had a they had a response rate of they had about 150 equine surgeons that responded, and about 49% had never performed a colopexy. Um, so it really is it's in these localized breeding areas that you're going to see this procedure performed um, more so than anywhere else. And so in this report as well, where they did a survey of ACVS diplomats, um, again, many had never even performed a colobexy. As far as how frequently um, horses are actually treated for large colon volvus, most cases, you know, 50% of respondents said that uh, they saw less than 10 cases a year. So it's only, um, it's about 3% 
of respondents in this study noted that they saw more than 40 cases um, of large convolvulus for which they may perform a colobexy. And as you'd expect, these respondents were probably located in areas with very high broodmare populations. And what we're going to talk about here in just a little bit, and, and we'll get to it in a second, is a pretty infrequent complication of dehiscence of a colopexy site. Uh, just as a little background, what are some of the more common complications or other things that uh, those performing colopexies or those having colopexies performed on their horses should have on their radar? So in general, you look back through the literature, there's, there's two main reports um, of large numbers of colopexies performed. One came from Hunt and Spirito back in 1995, again from Kentucky, where they reported uh, 160 horses. And so some other, um, especially some other complications with this technique that we describe in this paper um, include uh, ventral abdominal incision or hernias. Obviously, any complication you expect after an exploratory celiotomy is one thing that owners would want to keep an eye on in terms of things like incisional infections and so on. But specifically to uh, when a colopexy performed in another paper, they reported that intermittent abdominal pain and post-colopexy seemed to be um, not a common complication, but one that they did note in about five horses out of 44. Um, and then obviously you had very severe complications such as catastrophic rupture of um, the colon on which the colopexy was performed. Um, as you can expect, because you are suturing the colon to the body wall in some way, shape, or form, you can get subcutaneous fistulous tracts. Um, so, again, a very uncommon complication are intercutaneous fistulas. Um, and then repeat colic then is, is one thing as well. So in some of these case reports um, of colopexies in the past, they just have reported that or does have need to repeat, repeat laparotomy, um, for which then they found uh, numerous reasons. But... Out of these reasons, the odd case report does mention colobexy dehiscence. Um, but with this particular technique, um, there's only one report before of one case in this large case series in which colobexy dehiscence with our technique was described. So we are the first paper in this case to describe three um, cases in detail um, and basically how you approach these cases having had a colobexy before the surgical approach and then how you approach doing a repeat colobexy then after that. Yeah, great. So one thing that I was curious and I was hoping you could inform uh, the listeners on is what is uh, your technique for doing the colopexy? So the colopexy technique we describe in this paper involves incorporating the lateral free band of the left ventral colon into the ventral midline linear elbow closure. And so in this case, you actually make a different surgical approach. So you make your incision more cranial, about five centimeters, and just call it to the xiphoid process usually make an incision about 20, 25 centimeters long. And so an incision has been reported with this technique. An incision at this point um, allows for easier correction of the valvus itself. And then also colopexy at this site allows for uterine expansion during pregnancy and prevents the colon from twisting at its base once again. And so you perform the colopexy, um, as I said, along the lateral free band left ventral colon, about 40 centimeters from the coloc ligament. And so as you're closing your ventral midline linear alba, you incorporate cranial 10 centimeter, 10 to 15 centimeters of the incision, um, incorporate the lateral free band of the left ventral colon into that closure. The rest of the incision then you close normally. Uh, it's usually in, done in a simple continuous or interrupted cruciate pattern. In all of our cases, it was done with a simple continuous pattern using three Vicro. And so advantages of this then, the speed at which you can perform the technique, um, potential disadvantages then involve the fact that you're incorporating the colobexy into the in into the incisional closure, could potentially weak the incisional closure. 
Jupiter. Um, and then also the fact that you have the colon then adhered to the ventral body wall, you have to bear in mind when do, if you have to do a repeat exploratory laparotomy to make a different surgical approach to avoid the risk of penetrating the lumen of the colon. All right. Well, it's good to have a good background of, of exactly what you guys are doing before we get into really what can go wrong. So if you don't mind, just give us an idea of uh, the premise of these three cases. I know they're all different, but pretty similar. And if you don't mind just kind of getting into them, you can either speak in generalities of the three or uh, case by case, if you like, whatever you think makes the most sense to describe. Yeah, sure. So with three cases, uh, they range from this five-year-old, six-year-old, nine-year-old. They all had um, at least one episode of viral before. And so it was at their second surgery then, second episode of large colon vomit that they had colopexy performed. And so we documented there was the time between this colopexy being performed and when they presented again for severe colic signs requiring um, exploratory laparotomy. And so the time, interestingly, time between when the colopexy was performed and when they presented again did vary quite widely. So in two cases, um, it was well over 600 days. So in one case, it was 616 days between the previous colopexy and when they presented again another case was nearly 1500 days and then in one case then it was only about 50 days and between when they had a colopexy and then presented for severe colic signs and then had a repeat exploratory laparotomy and what was interesting then with these cases is that um, the time interval between them did have an influence on how the colopexy side itself did indeed look so when we got into surgery the two cases that had a very large time interval between when the colopexy was previously performed and when they're in that current surgery, and um, the previous colopexy site basically linear kind of area fibrosis, you know, it's quite pale, and it'll just look at like a scar really on the lateral free band of the left ventral colon. However, the one case where there was a time interval of 50 days from the previous colopexy, the colopexy site appeared as a linear hemorrhagic area fibrosis, so it has a scar, but definitely looked a lot more angry, and definitely areas of hemorrhage associated with that. Most of these cases we got excellent follow-up on. So one um, at time publication was alive about 790 days post-op, the other 500 days post-op, and one case was lost to follow-up about four years after. So all a very good outcome um, in which we performed a repeat colobexy on. So uh, if this, as I said, rare occurrence does happen, what we found is from these three cases that they, they have a very good outcome if you perform a repeat colobexy. And... Um just expand on this a little bit. After the correction, how did you alter what you did for your colopexy? So interestingly enough, the colopexy is actually performed at the same site. Um, and so I mean, before with this technique in general, you want to go about 40 centimeters from the cecal ligament. And so Dr. Dwayne Rodderson, who published the paper with myself, described that you do want to actually go on the same site. But in these cases, it was almost on the scar of the previous colopexy site. Um, as far as how the technique was altered, it was performed in the same manner, just ensuring that you get bites within the tania that are deep enough to act, make sure you're holding the colon against them. And tell me a little bit, what suture are you using, what size, what patterns, etc.? All these cases we used through bio, and, and that was uniform as well, as an all colics I saw during my time at Haggard in Kentucky. Um, so three vicos used, and as I said, you basically incorporate the lateral free band of the left ventral colon into the ventral midline incision using, in all these cases as well, a simple continuous pattern. Um, usually a length of 10 to 15 centimeters will suffice, and then 
the rest of the Ben O'Donnell decision is closed uh, in a uniform manner. One one disadvantage I didn't mention before then of this technique is that theoretically by having this colpexine incorporated into your ventral um, linear pelvic closure, that it could theoretically weaken your abdominal closure. However, um, reports there didn't seem to be any higher rate of ventral abdominal incisional hernias than um, normal linear pelvic closures. A million dollar question, uh, which everybody's wondering and I'm wondering, um, is why do you think these three dehist? So I mentioned paper a few two main kind of hy- hypotheses as to why this this may have occurred. So one of them being if suture bites within uh, for the colpex, if suture bites within the tenure were just too shallow, um, this meant that the suture again could have just basically um, pulled through the tenure of the colon um, while still maintaining the, the ventral linea alba um, closure and maintaining that intact. It may have just pulled through the colon. So make what's quite tricky in these cases is that final large colon volvulus, the large colon is very edematous. And so because of that, you have to make sure that you take your bites deep enough to get a decent purchase on the tainia itself. But at the same time, you want to be careful you're not going to penetrate the lumen of the large colon because um, you have that risk then of an enterocutaneous fistula forming. This is a very common complication, but that is one one theory as to why it may have occurred. It's basically just suture bites that are too shallow. Um, a second theory then is that if the colon um, is quite compromised, there is theory that theoretically then the suture could pull through the tainia of the colon as well. So um, there's numerous methods that practitioners use to assess the viability of the colon. In all three of these cases, um, you know, mild purple coloration of the colon was noted, but none that were noted based on surgery reports to be severely compromised. However, um, as we know, sometimes gross appearance does not always correlate, and so there may have been a degree of intestinal compromise that could have contributed to the suture then pulling through. One comment that we do make as well in relation to um, pelvic flexure enterotomies it's just something that we mentioned. So pelvic flexure enterotomies are not performed routinely in um, that's this hospital in Kentucky. And so theoretically, if you were to perform, perform a pelvic flexure enterotomy, you would decrease the weight of the colon, which theoretically could um, decrease the chance of colopexy dehiscence. One thing is, as I mentioned before, is after a large colon volvulus, the large colon is very edematous. So should a, even if a pelvic flexure enterotomy was performed, the colon would still be very heavy. But... There is no literature to support that doing a pelvic flexure enterotomy will decrease your chance of dehiscence or decrease the weight of the colon significantly enough to affect dehiscence rates. In your report, um, you talk about a dehiscence rate of 0.79% at your hospital. Clearly, that's these three in the large number of cases that you looked at. I'm assuming that the number of cases you looked at are those of the number of cases that had a colopexy and not, in fact, ones that were opened up and had an intact colopexy. Is that correct? So all these cases were looked at were, I said, ones that had a colopexy and then presented for PCOS and had a colopexy performed. So where that number came from was um, over an eight-year period, there was 253 colopexies performed on 251 horses, and then delving into those records, those two repeat offenders. So one of these cases, it is worth noting, is outside of the data range of these reports. Um, so I had basically access to an eight-year period of, of reports, and so one of these cases was indeed outside of, of that data range. So the 0.79% is, as I said, two cases out of the 251 that had repeat colopexies, and that is that is the instance rate that we calculated of 
Cove Hexid Hissens, followed by a repeat episode large that then we identified at surgery. Yeah, so I mean, I just want to clarify and make sure I understand. It's not that these 200 and something cases were horses that had colopexies and then they were recut after the colopexy and found to be intact. They were just horses that had colopexies and these are the only ones that you recut and actually identified that they had dehissed. Is that correct? That is, that is correct, yes. Yeah. So were there... Do you know of any horses or did you have many horses that had a colopexy you recut and unlike these three in the case report, you identified that the colopexy was intact? One thing that I do mention is that it was as far as incidence rates goes, we cannot calculate the incidence rate of colopexy dehiscence alone because at this point, our detection of this phenomenon relies on a horse that's had a colopexy displaying severe signs of colic and then having a repeat exposure laparotomy following which we might identify colopexy dehiscence. Um, so I kind of do briefly mention the paper that theoretically you could use ultrasound to and detect the um, colopexy itself, and that it was mentioned in one report that theoretically ultrasound can be used to detect adhesions by looking at the motility of intestines against the body wall. Um, so there's potential that ultrasound could be used as should a horse present for colic that you could pop the probe on and see if the colopexy appears intact or not. Um, it's not something we routinely do for horses that have had colopexies before. We do not go looking to see if the colopexy appears intact, but we just bear it in mind when it comes to our approach to surgery. And so I do mention that we kind of calculate at this point dehiscence rate of colopexy, um, dehiscence alone. However, one thing, as I mentioned before, is that because of the very large occurrence rate, so horses had a colopexy, has likely had two episodes of large colon volvulus occur already. And so after two episodes or more, the recurrence rate is um, reported as 80%. So I think if a horse does have a colopexy dehiscence, there's a very high chance it's going to have a large colon volvus again and then present for surgery. So overall, I think that the outcome of um, the instance rate of colopexy dehiscence alone without showing first signs of colic would be, would be very low. Yeah, so basically you're saying the absence of signs of colic or the absence of uh, suspicion of a large colon volvulus in a patient that's had a colopexy is the presumed uh, acceptance that it has a dehist. Yes, at this point, that is that is how we assume yeah. that it hasn't dehist. And as I mentioned, there is the potential for ultrasound to evaluate the adhesion formed between the, the colon and the body wall. Um, and that's something that could be looked into in future. As I said, potentially a horse presents for colic that has had a colobexy. You could, as I said, ultrasound the abdomen and see if the colobexy appears intact. But either way, uh, with a colobexy performed, that's one thing that we highlight in this paper is it's just how you will surgically approach the horse. If a colobex has been performed using this technique with the colon incorporated into the closure of the linea alba, you just have to make your approach slightly more caudally than usual because of the chance of penetrating the colon. So that's the main, main one of the main takeaways in this paper is if you have a horse that's had a using this technique, that you have to alter your surgical approach when performing an exploratory laparotomy. Yeah, for sure. Because um, there are certainly different techniques for and this is a good introduction to that. There are certainly different techniques for doing a colopexy where it's paramedian versus incorporating it into your uh, ventral midline ciliotomy and your linea. And even those techniques vary when you go paramedian on whether you do uh, a full thickness second incision or you sort of uh, operate through uh, your original incision and, and kind of yes. reach into the abdomen. Do you have any comments on um, 
on advantages, disadvantages, why you would do one technique versus the other, or, or is it left really just surgeon choice? So I've only had experience with the colobaxy technique that we describe in this paper, with the where you incorporate the colobaxy into the closure of the linea alba. One main advantage of this is is the speed at which you, you can do so decreases surgical time because you are just incorporating it into the closure of your linea alba. Um, you don't have to make a separate incision into um, the body wall as well. So there are numerous techniques described where you make a separate incision and incorporate the colobaxy into, as you mentioned, for example, a paramedia incision. Disadvantages, though, of this technique are that because of the location of it, that you've been very careful should you be doing once again on the same horse to alter your approach so you don't risk penetrating the colon. And also, theoretically, by incorporating the laboratory band of the left ventricolon into your linea alba closure, you are, in fact, weakening your linea alba closure. Um, as I mentioned in the case support, initially describing this technique, they had 160 cases and only five or so had uh, ventral abdominal incision or hernias. So I don't think it's it's much higher than would be expected otherwise. So there are some of the main advantages, disadvantages. Um, it was interesting researching the other techniques described. There was, with regards to colobexy dehiscence, um, the other technique where you suture the right and left ventral columns to their respective sides of the body wall. They reported um, a few cases. I think it was out of 44 cases, they had a total of, I believe it was five that had reoperation of which three had colobexy dehiscence. So dehiscence can occur with with other methods. This is the only report that we have in the literature of colobexy dehiscence. But as far as dehiscence rates, there's no comparison between the two methods. So overall, I do believe it's up to surgeon preference to what you're used to. Uh, interesting enough, there is a, a laparoscopic technique described. Um, and one kind of comment I'd have as well, I suppose, like I mentioned before about um, colon viability being an issue that it has been reported in the literature that if the colon is um, severely compromised, they would recommend um, repeating or carrying out the colopexy at a later date. So if the, colopex, if the colon does seem severely compromised, to delay your colopexy um, to decrease the chance of, as I said, potential dehiscence or an enterocutaneous fistula and so on. Um, but overall, I believe it's up to surgical preference, surgical training, wherever uh, you are trained will likely have an influence to what you will do in future. And then also the... the main uh, truth really is that most vast majority of practitioners um, will not be using this technique very often. You know, in the um, survey of surgical diplomats there carried out in 2015, I believe large colon resection was carried out more commonly than colopexy um, for, I said, cases of repeat large colon volvulus. But either way, uh, this technique is says what I'm familiar with and I believe the main advantages are the speed at which, we, which you can go ahead and perform it. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I guess bef- just to kind of close this up here, uh, let me know if, uh, if there's any other interesting points in the article that uh, we haven't touched upon here that you think would be important for our readers to have in, and or our listeners to have in mind, or really uh, just sum up what you think uh, a take-home message from this article would be. I'll read the take-home message for this particular article describing colopexy dehiscence with this particular colopexy technique is that when making your surgical approach on a horse that has had a colopexy performed in this manner before is to make a more colon incision so you avoid penetrating the large colon. And it's one of the main things. And then should you be performing a repeat colopexy, it is performed in the same manner uh, done the exact same site. But the main thing is just to, I suppose, have this in mind if you're dealing with a very large, if you're working in an area with a very large breeding population, a horse presents 
for a repeat, I said, severe colic signs that has a history of colopexy, just to have in mind that colopexy dehiscence, though not very common, is a potential differential. And so along with altering your surgical approach as necessary, just have it in mind as um, a potential differential for um, why that horse is presenting for severe signs of colic. As far as um, other interesting points go, I suppose, I might just mention quickly just one um, other thing which I find quite interesting is one of the most severe complications, as I mentioned, of colopexy is, is um, rupture of the ventral colon or enterocutaneous fistula formation. Um, just one quick note, I suppose, in that I believe in most cases where um, enterocutaneous fistula was identified in the literature, um, most horses did present with diarrhea concurrently. So again, if you have a horse um, that has had a colopexy and has had diarrhea in a post-operative period, probably just have that a bit higher on your differential list to say, keep an eye on it. There is a higher chance because that colon is compromised that you could have an enterocutaneous fistula forming. And so another point with regards um, ventral colon rupture then as well, it is typically, again, just to have on the radar for practitioners, via colopexy, um, ventral colon rupture is typically delayed uh, usually about four to 12 weeks after surgery, which was which is quite um, a shock to me when I first read it. So it's, it's one thing to bear in mind when you're longer postoperatively, that it is a potential differential. And in many cases, um, there aren't many prominent signs before colon rupture occurs at this delayed period. One thing is in the case support of 160 cases where colopexy was performed in this manner, um, for all cases that, those two cases that did have ventricolon rupture, for the six to eight weeks prior to ventricolon rupture, um, definitely the horse had signs of emaciation and so on. So, um, But the main takeaway point there is that ventricle rupture is something that is delayed usually about four or 12 weeks after surgery. But they're definitely the main points I'd like to highlight anyway. Yeah, no, that's great. That's important. I really appreciate it. I uh, just want to probably uh, uh, wrap this up by saying, one, thank you so much for being willing to, to participate in this podcast. I think hearing your take on it and uh, uh, the incredible amount of interesting and factual uh, literature review that you did and that one into writing the report are great and we appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, uh, making the effort to put this out in the literature for other surgeons and uh, practitioners and all parties uh, vested in and broodmares and colopexies, uh, etc. I think it's, it's good for us to know that this exists and it's valuable to have. And finally, for, uh, for utilizing equine veterinary education to get this word out and spread the knowledge so it could be useful to our profession as a whole. Uh, other than that, it's uh, great talking to you. I uh, really appreciate uh, your time, and we'll hopefully do this again sometime. Have a good one. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Education Podcast. More on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash eve. <laughs>